Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is November 9th, 2021, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining us from New York is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hi, Sarah. Good to be here. <laughs> good, good to have you. <laughs> and from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hey, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> God, Great to good. be here also. That's the spirit, Jeff. Also good to have you. Okay, guys. So we have some big administrative news first today. Today's show is going to be the last hot takedown for at least the foreseeable future. Our wonderful producer, Sarah Shackett, is moving on to some other opportunities, and we're we're so excited for her, with some other, you know, very cool stuff going on at the site. The timing worked out that it it made sense to put the show on hiatus for the time being. We may very well bring it back in, in some form, as you probably know, this is already the second iteration of Hot Takedown, so a third is certainly possible. We hope that you'll keep reading all of our work at at 538, but after this week, you'll have to find a different golf podcast or a a specific Jets-Vikings frustration pod, which uh, that should be out there, right? If it's not, maybe uh, (laughs) maybe someone will start one for us as uh, Jets-Vikings frustrated fans. So... This has just been a really fun show to do with you guys. I um, I'm gonna really miss it. It's it's very bittersweet to to put it on pause right now. Yeah, it's been you know good run uh, in this second iteration, and it's kind of weird. It's not the run that we thought that we would be having by any stretch when we uh, kind of revived the show. I think we've been through more stuff together in the last, uh, you know, almost two years, I guess, a uh, year and a half, whatever it was. Two and a half. Two and a half years. Oh, two and a half. I know. Okay. Time. What is time anymore? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, uh, what does that even mean? But yeah, like, you know, going through COVID and sports stopping and just all of the various things that, that happened in the world of sports over that time, you know, what an eventful time to, to do a podcast together. So, yeah. I agree. And I, you know, I've, uh, I'm really looking forward to having a show with no accountability right now. You know, I can just today I can just unleash a bunch of wild, irrational predictions. Wait, how is that different? The shackles every... are off. Oh, no, I guess it's not different. I guess it's not different, <laughs> but I, 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 I can do it and I wouldn't have the fear of next week having to come back and, and you know, apologize <laughs> for them. Um, yeah. But I don't think I really apologize for my bad predictions anyway. So, you know, no, this, I, I guess so. it doesn't really change yeah, anything. Yeah, you're mostly defiant no. about them. Yeah. Well, with the pause in the show, we should wrap up all of our ongoing <laughs> games. <laughs> so, or not. For- or not. Or, or just, you know. <laughs> well, well, no first- one cares. <laughs> sure. Our, our baseball World Series draft ended with, fittingly, no one <laughs> winning. That, that... Is the real reason yeah. we are taking a hiatus. We were asked yeah. to stop that, the show. Just, because we yeah. had a redraft and we still failed to pick Yeah, a we World couldn't Series produce champion. the champion. Pretty amazing. And specifically on me, because I did have the Braves yeah. uh, at the beginning of the season. And that, you know, things happened. Certain things happened. The redraft hurt you, oh, it hurt which is horribly. so interesting. Yeah, I picked the Phillies yeah. uh, and dropped the Braves. Uh, which I think was in keeping with a lot of people's thought processes. Basically, everyone except Alex Anthopoulos and uh, yeah. everyone on the Braves uh, thought that way. And I think that that's kind of fitting, though, right? Like, this is a team that everybody left for dead, basically, myself included. Uh, and they could have packed it in. And instead, they decided to go out and, and stay in the fight. I like that. That's like a good lesson. I hope more teams draw a lesson from that uh, and sort of irrationally stay in the race on the off chance that they um, they, they get hot and they um, pick it up in the postseason. I like that. That's like the antidote to tanking, right? It is, right? It is. It's like, it's like yes, we're going to do this. We, we are in a weird place. We could just be done, but we're going to keep trying. And isn't that what you want as a fan for just – you know, a reason to keep following your team, especially in baseball when tanking just there is no guarantee. I know we have recent examples of tanking being successful, but but you look at how hard it is to win a World Series. I mean, look at the Dodgers who had all of the talent possible and they still couldn't couldn't actually win. Baseball is random and fluky, so you may as well try. 
that's new gonna slogan. be my my life my life motto yeah <laughs> new slogan <laughs> absolutely um so we should also uh conclude our nfl survivor pool <laughs> which is kind of on a on a cliffhanger so i lost this week because i foolishly picked the bills knowing full well that the manning cast curse cannot be defeated i i knew it i said it i talked about it on the show i knew this was going to happen uh josh allen won i don't know i don't know I was shocked by that. I, that is ridiculous that Jacksonville won that game. What were they, 17-point underdogs? I think it closed at somewhere around 15. Yeah, it's completely absurd. I, just just completely absurd. And the absurd. way that like, the Bills lost also, mustering only six points. Like, I found yeah. that the Jaguars had not held a team, an NFL team, below to six points or fewer since 2018 before Sunday. And to do it against the Bills of all teams, it's it's wild. Although I did did love the the fact that the the quote unquote other Josh Allen who had to hear for years that he was the other Josh Allen, he was easily the best player in that game. Yeah, every big play, Josh Allen yep. was on both the uh, the good end of it and it seemed like the bad end of it. <laughs> A Josh Allen. Yeah. For those of us who uh, love funny name things, really, Sunday was the best possible. That was our Super Bowl. It was our Super Bowl. That's it. The season can be over now. We that's why we're we're quitting the podcast actually because uh, because we got Josh yeah. Allen versus Josh Allen because our yeah. job is over. Josh Allen yeah. sacked Josh Allen. And yeah. There's nothing left to do in football. We just we have to sports. go home. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, the way the survivor pool will end then is uh, uh, Neil and I finished with seven points. Neil won when the Vikings collapsed against the Ravens, as was (laughs) preordained. (laughs) There was no suspense there. We all knew how that was going to turn out. And Jeff's Cowboys just completely laid an egg there. So he, he finishes with six points. What a what a way to end it. <laughs> Sarah, your hedges were very accurate uh, even though you didn't actually make those picks. Like you hedged and said the the Jaguars are going to, you know, the Manning cast curse is going to bite the Bills and that the Vikings would um, find a way to lose. And lose by 3 points. I literally told you they would lose by 3 points. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no. That's like classic, right? The like, oh yes, I definitely know what's going to happen here. I'm not going to follow through on my own predictions and 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 you know choose accordingly but i'm definitely going to have the uh the comfort of knowing i was well, that's right like you know i feel like that's when like as a as a pitcher you give up a ground ball that like under normal circumstances there should be a fielder there but you have a shift in place and mm. it gets through mm-hmm. and you're just like you know cursing it not really remembering the times in which you followed the numbers and the shift helped you so you know you were following the numbers Really, there was no reason statistically for Jacksonville to win that game. Right. So, you know, I think it's it's always fun to complain about the things that uh, happened, knowing after the, after the fact, after what happened. Well, and again, this is what I like to do emotionally, um, because then I, I win either way, right? I, I, w- I would have won had the Bills won. But I win by the Manning curse winning because I talked about it. And, and I, unlike Jeff, believe in it. So, so really, I win either way. So, yay. I mean, I did not win the survivor pool, which is the important, <laughs> the salient point here. But, but, but that Tying is, is okay. half winning. Half winning. It is. It's half winning. So true. On today's show, we'll discuss the NFL's upset-filled week nine and what we can expect going forward if we can take anything away from those games. Then we'll look at the college basketball season, which starts today, yes, really, and which teams look strong at the outset. Finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. It was an eventful week in the NFL, even before any games were played. While Green Bay losing to Kansas City wasn't a surprise with Jordan Love filling in for Aaron Rodgers, a lot of teams we've considered to be contenders lost this week, not just the Packers. The Bengals and Rams also had disappointing outings. The Bills fell to the Manning cast curse and the Cowboys lost to Denver. On ESPN's first take, Stephen A. Smith found a new person to blame for Dallas's stumble. His co-host, former Cowboy Michael Irvin. See, this is what happened, Michael Irvin. When you talk about Diggs or anybody else, you got this dude addicted to making plays because obviously he likes hearing his name. He likes people I like giving that. him that kind of shine. And you want that, right? I want that. You want, I want that. that. I want well, that. I want opponents that. are relying yeah. on that lack of discipline in, 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 in favor of trying to be a hero. 
They lured the Dallas Cowboys in and they turned them into a bunch of fragmented individuals. That is what's happened. That's why Michael oh, Irvin wow. got those eyebrows raised. Well, that's why he's worried because he knows. Individuals. Because he knows. He knows they don't have the discipline to sustain stuff week to week that's going to get you a Super Bowl. And that's all I got to say at this particular moment in time. So if I'm understanding Stephen A's take correctly, Michael Irvin specifically and the media in general talking about Trevon Diggs is what made Dallas lose. Neil, fair take? Uh, Sort of? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I do think there's like a kernel of something there because I do think now I don't think Trevon Diggs was um, trying to impress Michael Irvin or anyone in the media, <laughs> to be honest. But I do think he has become pretty addicted to interceptions, and uh, this is like one of the weird paradoxes of cornerbacks in the NFL: is like the guys that rack up a lot of interceptions, if they're actually doing it through proper coverage, they stop putting up interceptions because people know not to throw on them because they're blanketing the the uh, receiver. But I think in the case of Diggs, he does a lot of like, you know, sort of ball hawking. Like he wants those interceptions, but uh, if if it doesn't work out, it goes really poorly. And so even when he was getting all of those interceptions, his coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus earlier in the season, was actually not that great, uh, you know, on, on their, their grading system. Uh, and it was really not good against Denver. And he wasn't the only reason why they lost that game. I think um, the Cowboys' defense in general was bad in that game. And that's sort of shades of how they've been in past years when they've been really disappointing. Uh, it's been the defense uh, that, that has kind of been porous. Uh, but yeah, I think it's in, in some ways it's symbolic of what might go wrong for this team down the line is is not playing um, sound defense, but playing kind of individualistic defense, I think. And, and Diggs might be um, uh, really at the forefront of that with all those picks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think their defense is bad. It, it, it was terrible last year. I think it's certainly gotten a little bit better this year. Um, but obviously, when you're living and dying on sort of the turnover, which is what they were doing... You know, we've seen in the past that that's not really sticky. But I do think like Michael Parsons, you know, like they've improved. But yeah, I mean, to me, the reason they lost was that the offense just a the offense, it seemed like was having trouble just getting on the field because because Denver with their running backs and their running game with, uh, you know, both Gordon and Williams were just controlling the clock. and, and, And I think that is like the best way we've seen this. You know, we've seen this with the Chiefs in the past, too, is like the best way to beat a good offense is to not have them on the field and you know when Dak was out there he looked off and you know we're coming off a bye and an injury and it just didn't seem like he played particularly well or was particularly sharp but you know the point about Diggs is is fair if you think back to the 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 game against the Patriots before they won they had a pick six in that game but right after that you know there was a that long pass to Bourne where he jumped the route and it's kind of his fault that the Patriots even forced the overtime to begin with. Um, so that will happen. But in general, I, I'm not, I'm still not really worried about Dallas. I think we're going to have a few clunkers. Like, I think that's pretty normal for the NFL now. Um, and, I, and I think Denver is the kind of team that can, they're even, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of dismissing them because they lost Juan Miller and it seemed like they were kind of giving it up, um, giving up on the year. But they, they still have a you know a solid defense and it can be a tricky matchup for certain teams and that's what we saw here. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you know Dak isn't going to play like that usually. It did seem like he was rusty. I was like, you know, where where's Cooper Rush? Put in <sighs> Cooper Rush. Obviously, they're not going to do that. Um, but it doesn't. Dak's not going to have that kind of game all that yeah, often. Yeah, I mean, there were just like a couple passes. There was one, I think, on fourth down where 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 CD Lamb was wide open and he just yeah. kind of overthrew him and he was yeah. just missing key throws. A couple of those throws, and they have such talented receivers. Like a couple of those throws connect, and it's it's just completely different results. So it was surprising, I think, that it happened in Dallas. But beyond that, these it wasn't that shocking to me, at least. Yeah. Well, so the the Cowboys loss was I mean, it was a it was a big loss, but given how bad the rest of the NFC East is, it it probably didn't end up mattering that much. 
Jeff, in terms of the division standings, who put themselves kind of further out on a ledge on Sunday? I, I mean, to me, the Bills did, because now all of a sudden they're five and three and the Patriots are five and four and have won three games in a row. I still can't figure out the Patriots. You know, I can't figure out if this is a good team. Sometimes they look awful. You think of that first half against Houston. Other times they look really strong and, and Mac Jones looks to be improving. But this division a few weeks ago just seemed like the Bills were going to run away with it, you know, and be resting their starters the last couple of weeks <coughs> against the Jets, namely. Um, <laughs> but but now all of a sudden the Patriots are right there again. I mean, that must be really that'd be worrisome if I was a Bills fan. Um, I don't quite know what's wrong with them. It really they really are evidence that I it's really hard to make NFL predictions because yeah. heading into that game with the Titans, which sort of started their unraveling and started the Titans surge out of nowhere after losing to the Jets of all teams. <laughs> I, I thought they were just like hands down the best team, not just in the AFC, but the best team in the NFL. So now all of a sudden that offense that just was dropping 40 points regularly, can't score against Jacksonville. Um, it, did did they figure out Josh Allen? Have we seen Josh Allen kind of regress back into the Josh Allen of a couple years ago where he's, you know, playing hero ball and trying to do everything and making mistakes? They seem to have, like, taken away the big pass, which, which really is kind of what's happening to Mahomes in Kansas City where all of a sudden, like, those, you know, deep throws to Hill and the, the deep shots to Kelsey over the middle are gone and he's, you know, trying these like dink and dunks and running the ball. And it seems to be sort of the the, the script against to play Buffalo too. So it's interesting to see um, if it'll last, if the offense continues to struggle. They have so much talent. Um, but, you know, I think not having a running game is something they've kind of <laughs> kind of gave, kind of never even bothered to put into place might be hurting them <laughs> because I think they're in these obvious passing situations and 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 Allen you know is is showing a little bit signs of regression I still think he's good um, I still think he's probably elite but um, that that to me is interesting otherwise of the standings I mean the AFC West is wild every team has five wins that's interesting yeah and, and then all of a sudden you know we were talking about the i bengals was just about as, to say the bengals are the as, team that really as, fell off the most if you think about it last place yeah especially <laughs> after the steelers beat the bears uh in that you know whatever money night game. uh but the bengals <laughs> going into the week had a 62 percent chance of making the playoffs now they have a 32% chance of making the playoffs. And like you said, Jeff, they're in last place. And this was the same team that went out. Uh, they, they, they shellacked Baltimore. Then they turn around and lose to the Jets. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, I think that they are symbolic of a lot of some of the teams that we think might become contenders is like, we don't know anything about these teams. They could go out and they could beat uh, the Ravens by 30. They could lose to the Browns by 30. They could lose to the Jets, just period. We don't know. So uh, that, to me, is is the team that lost the most um, uh, from from before the week to after the week. Yeah, I, I think that I, that makes sense to me, too. I, I just, I, I every week, everything I think I know about the AFC is just not true. Or, or at least like isn't borne out in those in that weekend's games. It's really funny. This, it's it's like a little game where they are, you know. Oh, you think you have us figured out? Nope, <laughs> you don't. You know nothing about. Yeah, us. remember we were okay. like thinking the Chargers were the best team in football. We we're yeah. thinking the Bengals might have a case uh, for that. Uh, yeah, the Bills. And we thought the Ravens had real problems, yeah. and now here the Ravens are. I mean, at, I think the six, Ravens six do two. have big problems. Like they can't they dig out of a two touchdown hole <laughs> every game. I mean, maybe they can. They're with not Lamar. playing the Vikings every yeah, right. week. <laughs> like maybe uh, maybe they can, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's a good thing to you know the knock on that team used to be that they couldn't play from behind. Now all they do is play from behind. So yeah, yeah I don't know. maybe it's a and, good and thing. Lamar, you know, I, I think Lamar is is really interesting what he's doing this year because he's he's his ability to just like take over a game has never been more on display. But he, the only reason he has to do that was because he had this horrible first half where. 
you know, he was just not playing well at all. And it was the only reason the team was in that situation. But I think the other thing that's interesting about the Ravens is that I think their defense, you know, is a lot of reputation right now, but they're they're not that hard to score on. And they, they've given up big plays. And what's happening is that for the first time, I think Lamar's being asked to do more, and especially in the in the passing game. And, and, and so far, he's he stepped up. So if they can get their defense straightened out and, and to limit the kind of explosive plays that they're giving up on that side, then... In, I think they're going to be in a really good position because now all of a sudden they'll have this dimension to play come playoffs if they find themselves in a hole um, where, you know, Lamar's been there before and he's done it. Yeah, but they do have to fix yeah. that because this is the first time since 2015 it's tracking to be that they've had a, a defense that allows more points per game than the league average. It's really kind of an unheard of thing is. Uh, in, the, yeah. in the John Harbaugh era. I think that was the only time since he became their coach that they had a below average defense. Yeah. I think the the one team in the AFC that that has really shown out over the past several weeks is are the Titans. I mean, they've beaten teams that we consider to be really strong teams. Now, who knows if that's actually true? But you know, they 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 keep winning. I feel like I can't get over their loss to the Jets, though. Like I keep thinking about them as the team that lost to the Jets, not the team that beat all these other teams. In their defense, okay, so their defense. Talk about a defense that has had a Jekyll and Hyde season. I mean, they they were awful, and they against the Jets, they were awful. They were you know made Zach Wilson look competent and slash made Zach Wilson look good. Not even Mike White. Zach Wilson. I think Mike White is Not better than Zach White. Not even Mike White. So, <laughs> uh, Mike White is, you know, Canton bound. Uh, Zach Wilson, it's unknown. Um, but they didn't have, remember, I mean, Julio Jones hasn't really done anything all year, but they didn't have A.J. Brown, and A.J. Brown's such an important part of their offense. They did have Derrick Henry, uh, who they no longer have. But I, yeah. think, I think not having either one of those receivers made them pretty one-dimensional against the Jets. And I think I, I, I do think that sort of explains at least how they were in a position to lose a game like that. I mean, sure. Although I've my prior has been that, you know, one dimension is enough to beat the Jets. So, you know, yeah, it's, usually still, is. it's confusing. <laughs> um, other, the other team that, that kind of showed us something this week was the Arizona. You know, without without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins, with Colt McCoy, um, Arizona beat San Francisco. Neil, was that was that surprising to you? Was that a, a you know did that show you something? Yeah, it did. Uh, I thought. I mean, I thought they would be competitive. It's not like San Francisco, you know, speaking of teams that are kind of confusing or maybe going off reputation or whatever, uh, you know, they haven't been lighting the world on fire. But yeah, I thought the drop off from from Kyler to Colt McCoy uh, was going to be somewhat significant. And our model thought that too, because we only gave them a 42.9% chance of winning that game. And they come out and it's really not an issue for them, uh, 31-17. So to me... That was the most impressive win. Uh, if if the if the Bengals loss to the Browns was the least impressive loss, no, most unimpressive loss. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it, <laughs> it was, was bad. bad. What I'm what I'm saying here, it's bad. Uh, the, the the opposite of that was yeah, winning. Um, and I don't know if Kyler like you know, jury's still out on whether he's going to be healthy uh, next week. And we've seen him sort of lose steam as the season goes on with injuries in the past as well. So I wonder how that affects them. But otherwise, I mean, I've been really impressed with Arizona's defense all year. You know, this is a team that was known as being this offensive powerhouse that would really have to outscore you to be able to win. Uh, they were 20th in defensive expected points added per game last year. Now they're up to second. Uh, the only team better than them on defense is the Bills. By the way, the Bills defense didn't let them down in that game. So, you know, we still believe in the Bills defense at least. Um, but yeah, so I, I've been very impressed with Arizona and uh, especially that defensive turnaround that they've had. And that's why if you look at our Super Bowl odds right now, we have the Cardinals as the favorites at 15%. So one percentage point ahead of the Buccaneers. And then the Titans, also another team that, you know, we we're just talking about them, uh, one percentage point behind the Bucks. So it goes 15, 14, 13 for the Cards, Bucks, and Titans. 
not necessarily the top three, especially in that order that we thought we would be looking at uh, midway (laughs) through the season, but here we are. I thought it was the most impressive win of the week. Um, you just look at the line. It started as like close to a pick'em, and I, I think San Francisco was like up as like a six-point favorite by the end when when all those injuries were confirmed. You know, not having Murray and not having DeAndre Hopkins, and then you look at once the game starts, they like first play they lose Chase Edmonds, one of their another one of their offensive weapons for the game, and. You know, I think part of it might be that just the Niners and Kyle Shanahan, it's just it's just not good. They're just happen. not good. I think they're yeah. not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just at the end of the day. And it, it wasn't everyone kind of rode off last year because of um the injuries, but it it might just be that they're a Jimmy Garoppolo team that isn't that good and their defense isn't what it was two years ago. Yep. Um, but that being said, it was, it was still impressive. I, I do think Colt McCoy is a pretty solid backup in, in terms of backups. Um, all right. We, we do need to t- at least touch on the whole Aaron Rodgers situation right now. First, we, we want him to recover from COVID-19 and face no long-term effects from that. It's it's really easy to say that you know young, healthy athletes will be fine and won't won't suffer any negative effects, but but they have not all been fine. We need to remember that. And I and I wish Aaron Rodgers and other, you know, high profile unvaccinated athletes would remember that too. There are some athletes who are still f- feeling the effects of of COVID nineteen. Um. So, but at least for the moment, it seems that Rodgers' public image has taken a bigger hit than than his health. Jeff is the criticism. Of- of him right now fair in your opinion yeah i think it's totally fair i mean look he's being made fun of on snl and i think deservedly so i think he came off you know not to the whole his whole take on covid i mean just hearing that nonsense um i had no patience for and i think it's like that type of misinformation has caused so much damage over the last year and a half. His answer to that question earlier in the year where he kind of dodged it about whether or not he was vaccinated, I mean, frankly, that, that I know he's gonna get some fines, but that my understanding of the rules is like, that's worthy of a suspension, but they won't do that because yeah. that's not in their best interest to to have him not on the field for, you know, for the NFL, so. I'm not holding my breath for that one, but but I do think all the criticism is is deserved. What's so frustrating to me is that you know this is now an example of how he's he's the victim here of the of cancel culture and the woke mob, and it's like, no, dude, you lied. You lied to your teammates. You lied to the media. I know no one cares about the media's feelings, obviously, but but you lied about it. Um, and you put people at risk. And that that's just true. You know, the and the answer to that, of course, is, well, all the people, all the, the reporters in the press conferences when he wasn't masked like he was supposed to be or on Zoom like they've done with other unvaccinated players, all those reporters were, ma- were vaccinated. So it's fine. Well, we know that vaccinated people can get breakthrough pra- cases from unvaccinated people with covid which is Aaron Rodgers. Like, he is putting, he put other people at risk and lied about it. Like, no one is still talking about Kirk Cousins not getting the vaccine. Like, I am annoyed that Kirk Cousins didn't get the vaccine. I'm not, like, out to cancel him. No one, no one is. He owned up to it. He said that he didn't feel comfortable doing it. People rolled their eyes and were, and you know, disappointed or whatever and moved on. Even, you know, Kyrie Irving owned it. And took some criticism for it but it's not like people are no one is canceling him this is not about whether he got the vaccine or not it's about whether he lied that's just you know if you're gonna if you're gonna make that choice stand up and say you've made that choice hiding behind a lie shows that he knew that he would take heat for it and didn't want to that's just that's lame that's that's the kind of thing that makes me think less of a person, not just the choice on whether to get the vaccine or not. Yeah, he was he was being a weasel. And um, yeah. that's bad leadership. 
And also, yes, he cost his team a win. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, yep. You know, they their their defense held the Chiefs, who are flailing on offense, <laughs> to 13 points uh, in Arrowhead, and they could only muster seven points behind Jordan Love, who seemed over his in over his head. And you know, you can debate about that pick a little bit more now than than you could before. But you know, without Aaron Rodgers, their odds dropped like a rock, you know, in that game. And and it's very likely that if he had been there, they would have won. And you could say, oh, well, you know, they're still uh, seven and two. They're in good shape. It's not going to matter. But like, this is the NFL. Your odds of getting a first round bye went down. Like all these things happened. And it was all because he was, he decided to be selfish. Like now I see him after this, and this is me maybe spouting a hot take instead of taking one down. But I see the, the rest of his career through a lens of a player that cares about himself more than the team now uh, looking back. And, you know, these are, this is a guy that always kind of preserves the Aaron Rodgers mystique around this, you know, oh, he's got such great arm talent. He's such a special quarterback and, you know, he can make all these Hail Marys and and save uh, a team and all this stuff. He's also lost a lot of big games that he should have won. And I don't know if that comes down to a lack of leadership or whatever, but it does sort of cast him in comparison to other quarterbacks like Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady's a guy that is into a lot of the alternative uh, theories of health and all this stuff too, but he got vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, the, the all killed out. But he got <laughs> vaccinated, and he made sure, uh, you know, from reports that all the Bucks, you know, as many as he could, kind of the the key players uh, on that team got vaccinated too, because he was like, "Look, I'm going to be damned if I'm going to have you guys, you know, and and uh, get COVID and derail our season. We're trying to win a Super Bowl, and you know, I don't have many chances left at this age." Whereas Aaron Rodgers is actively, you know, hurting his team and and leading to you know them losing more games. So I don't know. It's just an interesting juxtaposition at this point between, you know, players that care about winning and players that care about themselves. Yeah. I mean, in his defense, um, he did say, I mean, I don't think we really know this for sure, that everyone on the team knew, everyone in the organization knew it was really just the media he was lying to. Um, So take that for whatever it's worth. But then he also cited some really bogus reasons for not taking it. I mean, okay, one was an allergy, which I can understand. The other was the clot issue with the vaccine, which was affecting uh, six you know, out of women, millions and millions and millions six, of people. Uh, six yeah. w- people per one million. Oh, I think the- more. Like seven, uh, six out of seven million or something. Oh, okay, and only really affecting, I think, women between the ages of. 18 and and 49 and might be about birth control also like it's not it's also not like for sure it's about that yeah that's true yeah yeah um (laughs) which is just like i'm just have no patience for the bad information and then he's out there saying it's a witch hunt and using these like dog whistles it just it's just frustrating and and just considering how his reputation going in was that he was the hollywood guy you know the jeopardy and the dating the movie stars and stuff like that and brady always has this reputation as being like a trumper and a maga hat guy and it just it doesn't seem like those reputations were necessarily true i mean at this point, based on on this specific example of how they handled the vaccine, but who knows? Yeah, I just, you know, I, I keep thinking about other players on the Packers who are not vaccinated, like my Iowa State, <laughs> my Iowa State guy, Alan Lazard, who isn't vaccinated and he and was had to miss a game because of of COVID protocols. And I think, you know, a, a quarterback leading and saying, look, <laughs> We all want to be vaccinated to, for the best chance to win, but for the best health of our team. That could have made those younger players also get vaccinated, which is what happened with with Tampa, where everyone everyone did because Tom ordered it. And you know, you look across the league, and ninety four percent of all NFL players are vaccinated, or that they were as of October twenty first. That could be even higher now. There's this like holdout contingent and a guy like Rogers, a leader could have affected that could have helped that and made that even even higher. And, and that's really frustrating, too. It is tempting to focus on the the few guys who are not vaccinated when the vast majority of the NFL is which is great. Um, But it's very frustrating when there are like these small pockets of of the unvaccinated when you know, 
we're just, we're fighting a pandemic, guys. We all want this to be over. And the only way it's going to end is if we're all vaccinated and it, and it, and it ends. Um, it's just, it's never going to end if there's this, this nonsense, this completely wrong information. The vaccine does not cause infertility. It, it does not. The, the blood clot thing is not really a problem. And the risk of negative effects with COVID are so much worse. Yeah, that was that was just it was so disappointing. Look, I am not a Rogers fan. I have never been a Rogers fan. I am not a Packer fan. Um, but still, I didn't. This is not what I was expecting from him. This like Joe Rogan is my doctor turn was not what I was. It's just very disappointing from anyone in the league, even someone I already didn't really like. But now my 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 priors are confirmed. So that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've said all we could say about about that. Let's take a quick break and come back to talk about college basketball. The college basketball season is about to begin and with some interesting matchups, too. On the women's side, the big opener is a big test for number one, South Carolina, which is facing off against number five, NC State. On the men's side, a big question is whether some big name teams have recovered from their 2020 slumps. And it just so happens that four of those teams are playing each other in a kickoff classic doubleheader. On CBS's Eye on College Basketball podcast, Matt Norlander identified the key theme uniting those big games tonight. The, the big broad theme of the night, the thread between all these teams, Kansas worst season Ken Palm wise ever under Bill Self, Michigan State likewise under Izzo, and then obviously Duke had its worst season in 25 years. Kentucky had one of its worst seasons in the history of the program going back almost 90 years. So all four programs actually weirdly have something to prove heading into Tuesday night because they're coming off of subpar seasons for what their program standards are. So of these four programs with something to prove, all playing tonight at, at Madison Square Garden, who has the most to prove, Jeff? Well, I think it's the uh, the the two in the second matchup, Kentucky and and Duke, just because of the season they're coming off, where neither neither team made the tournament, which was just unheard of. Obviously, I think just looking at their recruiting classes, that machine never uh, stopped, and they have some incredibly dynamic freshmen coming in. So I think it'll be kind of back to normal for those teams. Obviously, the the, the thing we're going to hear ad nauseum is about Coach K, or as Duke fans like to call him, K. Ugh, yuck. <laughs> Apparently, Terrible. it's his final season. I don't know if you guys heard this one. Oh, no way. Uh, That's brand new information. No, no, no. no. It, it was, a, there was a, a small press release earlier uh, about it. But yeah, it's his <laughs> last year after, uh, you know, four decades. So that will, I, get, I don't know if that gives him a lot to prove, but I think those teams really having strange down years um, where there were complete non-factors on the landscape. I, obviously, they both look like they've reloaded and are going to be pretty great, probably. Uh, when you get these five-star recruits who are go straight to the NBA lottery, tends to you know maybe not win you a uh, a national a national title, but it, it at least gets you in the in the hunt. Um, that much is proven, so I I think the expectations will will be restored to their normal uh, elite levels. But that being said, it would that would give them more to prove it. And, and frankly, you know Kansas, you know they were a three C, but they didn't make it past the first weekend of the tournament and. And Michigan State, I think, was 11 seed. So they, none of these programs really are coming off particularly good years or, or years they're, you know, at least by their own standards. So I think in that regard, it, it, it does feel like a, a big bounce back year for all four teams, even though, you know, Michigan State right now is not even ranked. But I think a lot of people have them kind of still hovering around that top 25 and maybe even better. Yeah, the Kansas thing is interesting to me. Like last year was a bad year for them comparatively but they still you know they still made the tournament and losing in the first weekend isn't actually that like interesting for kansas that happens yeah all the time. that happens <laughs> no matter what their their seat is they just, just that happens. northern iowa yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that but they you know and they're back right back up there to to being ranked third so feels like you know they'll probably be fine michigan state it they're such a funny team program because like no matter where they are 
we kind of always assume they'll be either like a one seed in the tournament or an 11 seed. And that's like where they belong always. But, it's like one still or the other. Possibly make the final four from either of those. Yeah. From either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and maybe that's just the Tom Izzo factor. It's just the, the constant thing with him. Um, but they are, it's like, oh yeah, they're not ranked. Oh, yeah. It doesn't even like remotely move the needle for me. I just assume they'll still be. A solid either 11 or 1. <laughs> well, and last year, uh, you know, I think maybe you could write off for all these programs the conditions under which last year was played also. You know, it's a very strange college basketball season. Uh, and that this one will ostensibly be a lot more normal. So we'll maybe get more of a return. They're hoping at least more of a return to the normalcy of these programs being ranked really highly. So we'll see, I guess. Uh, it'll be a little bit of a referendum on how weird last year was and how much of a blip on the radar yeah. that was. It's kind of a bummer because I thought last year was really it fun. It was fun. I liked it, yeah. Yeah. The parody, the the like weird teams at the top, you know, you love to see that. The Baylor champion. and Gonzaga. Baylor. Having... Yeah. Yeah. And that was really fun. And so now it's like, oh, we're just gonna go back to, to the normal. That's that's kind of that's annoying. Well we don't know. We don't know if that's gonna if that is what's gonna happen. That's I think one of the interesting things about this right. season. And I think the allure of ranking those teams highly like cannot be denied. <laughs> they just have to be. Um, I got you know we'll find out some interesting things about all four of those teams right away, which is which is fun. But beyond those blue bloods, what's most interesting about the men's rankings coming into this season? Neil, do you agree with Vegas that Gonzaga has the best shot at the title? I do. I and I think they're fascinating. Just. Um... I always have been kind of a, a Gonzaga fan, you know, rooting for them to finally get that breakthrough. But especially now, I mean, they've come so close so many times in recent years. Uh, and it really felt like almost all of last year up to the, the championship game that this was finally their year. And it just did not happen and, and did not come especially close to happening against Baylor. So in that sense, maybe they're the one with as much or more to prove than than anyone going into this season. Because again, they're ranked number one fairly unanimously uh, in in the initial polls, and they have really interesting players. You know, Drew Timmy is back, uh, and and he was arguably their best player last year. I mean, you could have made the case for Jalen Suggs and some of these other guys that they lost, but they've got that. They've got some freshmen, Chet Holmgren, the seven footer who looks like he weighs all about 140 pounds. But it's the number one. He's the number one in the country. The country, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and and Hunter Salas was also in the top 20. He's number 16, according to the RSCI recruiting rankings. So, uh, mm. you know, this team reloaded, you know, despite losing some guys. And, and I think justifiably based on talent, they're ranked number one. And there's going to be the question about whether they can get it done in March until they actually do it. And I love those types of stories when they end in sort of a redemptive way. You know, I think there's something very appealing about the team that just keeps trying, keeps you know, Sisyphus, like rolling the boulder up the mountainside, trying to do it and, and failing again and again until they finally get that breakthrough. And I don't know if this is the year for that. And I don't, you know, if, if it doesn't happen this year, they'll try again next year. But um, I am really rooting for them. Yeah, I think the narrative, and we talked about this during the tournament, that they're some sort of Cinderella or underdog is just completely gone. I mean, this is a program that we can expect until you know, Mark Few leaves or, or something dramatic happens that will be a contender every year. I mean, they're getting the recruits. This is there's no underdog underdog part of this team anymore. Except for the fact that they haven't won the championship. That's the only Yeah, part. except for that. And they've been to, you know, a couple different finals and they've certainly been right there. And I think you're right in that the pre it's no longer like can they do it? It's like I kind of Better yeah, guys, come on, um, you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so on the women's side, South Carolina sits atop the preseason AP top 25 list for the second consecutive year. And the, the same top three, South Carolina, UConn, Stanford, are the same three teams as going into last season, just with UConn and Stanford flipped. Jeff, when UConn isn't ranked number one, are we like lulled into a sense of parody that that maybe doesn't actually exist? Well, I think we, I, I don't know. I, I think we are in that sense of parody. I mean, you look at the last. OK, so you look at the last four champions, South Carolina, 
Notre Dame, Baylor, Stanford. That's four years, you know, without a UConn title. Um, I saw somewhere that it's the first time there's been a stretch of four years without UConn or Tennessee winning a title since basically the start of the tournament, since like 1986. So I think that is significant. I mean, I do think, if anything, we're, we're in that parody. I don't know if we need to be lulled. Now, I think that being said, it wouldn't be surprising if UConn just, you know, ends that, um, ends any notion of that um, and sort of regain, reclaims uh, their place atop the sport. And, and that's certainly possible, you know, with the best player in, in women's college basketball coming back and, and, and on their team. So, you know, it's certainly, while maybe not ranked number one, they're, they haven't gone anywhere. Um, but it is interesting. I'm curious about your take on that. I mean, UConn is like just stacked. I mean, they return all five starters, plus they added like probably the best freshman in the country and Azzy Fudd. Great name. So, like, by they're the just. Way. Azzy no, Fudd. Isn't it great? I, mean, I love it. Azzy yeah. Fudd gets an A plus from me. Hi, Monet on that. <laughs> It is a high Monet score, yeah. South Carolina also, though, it has a scary level of talent, is returning, you know, Aaliyah Boston, and they, they, you know, and I think Don Staley will, will take them pretty far. And then there's, you know, the former champion, last year's champion of Stanford, which is also returning, like, so much of their, of their, of their talent and their, their, their stats from last year. So, I mean, I think it'll be... It'll be a really good race, I think. NC State is interesting. I mean, there's all of these teams. Maryland should probably be good. Um, there's all these teams that can make it really interesting. So while there is a chance that UConn, you know, ends up on top again and, you know, we return to that kind of UConn dominance, I don't think it'll be like that because all these other teams are also really good and really dominant. I think it'll be a true battle. And that's really what we've wanted, right? It's not that we, I mean, there are some anti-UConn people who just want them to, like, want the program to be disbanded, right? <laughs> but mostly what, what I want is for the sport to have, you know, all these pillars of of strength and um, really good games of a really high level of basketball, which we really saw last year in the tournament. Um, and then there's still some surprise, some you know, room for surprises like like Arizona and Ari McDonald, and you know, it's an exciting time for for women's college basketball. So I think I think UConn is still a villain for a lot of people, but now they're just one of some uh, one of a handful of really really good teams and i think that's better for the sport so yeah i'm really excited it's gonna be i think a great a great season full full of a lot of really good basketball and some interesting storylines speaking of storylines though what other storylines are you guys watching for as the season starts for for women or for men well i think uh kim mulkey leaving baylor for lsu is interesting on the women's side and trying to kind of see how that how that plays out and and kind of build up there in the you know baylor in the in the um the preseason they're number seven even without her so it is sort of you know a question of whether they'll just kind of continue going um but also yeah that uh just seeing where that where that goes, I think, is interesting. Yeah, Baylor has won 11 straight Big 12 regular season titles. If whether they can keep that up without Kim Mulkey, I think there's you know there's still a really high level of talent, but that that will be that'll be interesting. That feels like the Big 12 is a little bit more up for grabs. Go Cyclones! <laughs> Cyclones also checking in at number 12 in the in the preseason rankings. Um, I really honestly think Ashley Jones, baby. Yeah, I honestly think that if we did like a composite ranking of like football, men's and women's college basketball the past few years, Iowa State would be sneaky high in all that. Maybe men's basketball has fallen off a little bit. Well, they had their time in the sun though, relatively recently. Uh, it's been a good time to be a Cyclone. I got to get these uh, get these plugs in while I can. <laughs> Um, on the men's side, I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is is the transfer situation. I think you saw a lot of teams, notably um, Texas and UCLA and, and even Michigan to an extent, bring in with the take advantage of the sort of transfer rules changing where, um, you know, obviously because of COVID, they sort of um, relaxed the policy on that. And a lot of teams kind of did what NBA teams do, which is, you know, if they have a missing piece that isn't on the roster or not in their recruiting, they, they kind of, you know, fill in some some gaps there. And, and I think it's made a lot of the maybe not 
this sort of second tier contenders quite good. Um, so I'm interested to see how that pans out. Um, I'm also interested on the men's side in Memphis, um, just because Penny Hardaway obviously is in a couple of years while they, you know, they won the NIT, but um, clearly <laughs> haven't had huge success um, in the in the bigger tournament. Granted, they lost a year in there. Um, he's obviously still getting the recruits. Um, Jalen Duran is considered to be, you know, a lottery pick, if not top five, coming to Memphis. And have you seen who his assistant coaches are? This is just hilarious. Uh, Memphis's assistant coaches are Rashid Wallace and Larry <laughs> Brown, who's 81 That's a years old. Pistons reunion. I don't even know what that it, is. I mean, <laughs> 81 years young. I, just I love like, it. Just curious. Um, I, I don't know what the dynamic is in that locker room, but I, I wish I do. Um, so I'm curious to see if they can put it together and, and be a sort of top caliber team, which they're recruiting at least under Hardaway has. I satiated my early college basketball watching, you know, appetite uh, by watching YouTube clips of Imoni Bates uh, from Memphis against some college that I'd never really even heard of. Not even sure if they were a real college or whatever, but I was like, okay, it's college basketball season because I'm getting hyped videos about high prospects uh as as freshmen you know dominating who knows who yes absolutely well it'll be really exciting to watch what happens this year games start like kind of now they're they're happening probably right now as you listen to this episode let's take one more quick break and then we'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, what do you have for us? Well, as you alluded to earlier in the show, the Peyton and Eli Manning cast on Monday Night Football has taken on a bit of a life of its own, not just because those guys are really entertaining, which they are, but also because active players who join the Mannings on the show have promptly seen bad things happen to them afterwards. Uh, for the uninitiated, here's a rundown of who has been on the Manning cast so far this season. So in week one, they had Travis Kelsey. His Chiefs turned around and lost to Baltimore the following week. They also, in week one, had Russell Wilson, so they had two active players that week. Uh, his Seahawks lost to Tennessee in week two, and uh, he also got hurt several weeks later. Uh, Rob Gronkowski was on in week two. His Bucks lost to the Rams the following week. Matthew Stafford was on in week three. His Rams lost to the Cardinals the following week. Then they took a little hiatus. They came back week seven. Tom Brady was the guest. His Bucks promptly lost to the Saints the following week, and then... Of course, they had Josh Allen on last week, and his Bills infamously now lost to the Jaguars uh, in Week 9. So to recap, there are six players, active players. Their teams went 0-6 the week immediately after appearing on the Manning cast. What were the odds of all of that happening? Well, if each game was a coin flip, the odds of flipping tails six straight times would be 1.6% or 1 in 64 that, you know, it's relatively unlikely, but it happens. It happens sometimes. However, these games were not coin flips, uh, in part because the Mannings only tend to talk to star players whose teams are theoretically really good. They're contenders. So if we use the pregame 538 forecast to determine the odds, things start to look a little weirder, a little spookier. According to the model, here were the win probabilities for each of those games. So the Chiefs in week two had a 55% chance of winning on the road. The Seahawks in week two had a 71% chance. The Bucks in week three had a 49% chance, so not favored. Uh, the Rams in week four had a 68% chance. The Bucks in week eight had a 59% chance. And the Bills against the Jaguars in week nine had a whopping 86% chance of winning, according to our model, despite being on the road. So in those six games, the only underdog in the entire bunch was Tampa against L.A., and that even that game was basically a coin flip. So uh, if you multiply out the odds, the odds of that particular set of games all going against the team of the player who the Mannings had as their guest was just 0.13%, or 1 in 783. So maybe something weird really is going on here, but... 
there are many caveats to the curse of the Manning cast. Uh, the first is that some of those games could have easily gone the other way and really killed the idea of any curse before it began. For instance, the Chiefs lost to Baltimore was only by one point. The Seahawks lost to Tennessee was only by three. Both of those happened after the, uh, the losing team collapsed, essentially. If they just held on a little bit longer, they would have won. And the Bills also lost by three this weekend. If they had been able to mount any kind of drive at any point uh, in the second half in that game, they could have won. Uh, so really, if just a few plays swing in somebody else's favor, these games go differently, and we're not talking about a curse right now. Secondly, as I said before, the Mannings tend to pick players who are kind of at a high point in their, in their arcs of the season. Uh, Kelsey just coming off a Super Bowl appearance. Wilson was an MVP candidate last year. You'd expect those guys to be good. Uh, Gronk won the Super Bowl as well. Uh, and he had just had two touchdowns in the game against Atlanta the week before he appeared. Matt Stafford, leading MVP contender this year. He had been nearly flawless. He had almost a perfect game in week three over Tampa Bay. Brady, of course, needs no introduction. He had just thrown for four touchdowns. They beat Chicago 38-3. And Allen right there in the MVP conversation. The Bills had just won five of their last six, including uh, beating Miami the week before. So I think there's a little bit of an element, just like uh, some other famous curses or jinxes, like the Sports Illustrated cover jinx, the Madden curse, where these guys are invited on the basis of really playing at a high level at that particular moment, which uh, naturally might regress to the mean some in future weeks, uh, and then it would maybe give the false impression that the Manning cast caused the decline rather than just being correlated with it. And then lastly, you know, I said that one in 783 chance uh, was the odds of this specific set of six players going 0-6 in those specific set of games, but... The Mannings are pretty popular, they're pretty well-liked, and they have a pretty wide array of stars that they could have conceivably invited onto their show. So if we mapped out all of the players they could have had on the show and looked at the odds that any random set of six out of that group would lose all of their next games, the chance would be less remote because you'd have more of a universe of players to, to kind of include. And yet still, in, in all of those alternative realities, we still would be talking about a curse. And that's why in cases like this, the true odds of any specific set of circumstances are always less unlikely than they seem just from multiplying the probabilities, even though I did that uh, just a few minutes ago. Now, that being said, if you're an active player, would it be smart to accept the Mannings invitation to appear on Monday Night Football uh, next week or, or whenever they do uh, their next broadcast? Well, I just made my case against a curse, sort of. It sounds like you guys are split on it. Did I sway your opinion, Sarah, or did I strengthen your opinion, Jeff, or uh, where do you guys ultimately land? You strengthen my opinion because it's nonsense. <laughs> it is utter nonsense. It makes no sense. And I don't believe in jinxes, and I'm not superstitious. And um, I, I don't think I need to defend that. Did they not have anyone this week? <laughs> they didn't have a Manning cast they were not. this they week. Didn't oh, have they didn't do it. Yeah. Okay, you know what they should do is they should invite really bad players or, or good players on <laughs> bad teams that haven't won. You know, like have Jared Goff on. Maybe see if they have some sort of weird cosmic Reverse energy that jinx. causes the Lions to win. Have maybe Mike White. <laughs> Maybe Mike White. <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear Mike White weigh in? Let's talk to Kirk Cousins. Why not? Anything. Talk to the Cuz. The fact that you do not believe in jigses and you're not superstitious is just sad. Like, that is part of sports. You should be superstitious. Everyone should have sports superstitions. And I think slightly less of you for not having that. Look, this is... Before... The Josh Allen thing, I was like, eh, that's just a funny coincidence. After the Bills lost to the Jaguars, like the worst team in football, a bad team, then I was like, it's real. This is a curse. No one should it's ever real. want to go on it. It is real. That's that's just, there's no other explanation for the Buffalo Bills losing that game to Jacksonville. There's no other explanation. It is definitely the Manning's cast. Yeah, to be fair, that was the, the most... Um... The most egregious of the numbers on there by far, the 86% uh, odds to win and then losing. The rest, 
were like relatively competitive. The the second highest was Seattle with that seventy one percent. So yeah, anything you know in the fifties, sixties, that range, you could chalk up to just you know it, things happen. But eighty six percent. Yeah, I mean literally, there's no other there's no other explanation. There's no reason that that team should have lost. I I'm gonna believe this until I die, and that's fine. Or just the cover two shells that teams have been starting to use against the Bills and the Chiefs Don't and various other teams. Use you know, real football analytics <laughs> on me. We're talking about a jinx. Um, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that makes sports fun, right? Like the weird crap like this. That like, no, I don't actually think that. Peyton and Eli Manning can affect the outcomes of games by who they invite on their show. But it's sort of fun to think that they are, right? And I think time spent, you know, talking to the Mannings on uh, Monday nights is time not spent studying tape or, you know, reading the playbook uh, for the following matchup. Although for Gronk, he didn't. For Gronk, it didn't matter. He didn't. That really shoots a hole in that theory. Yeah, he doesn't. He does not not prep (laughs) at all. No. As we learned on the Manning cast. Yeah. Well, um, I I love uh, I love this. I think if I were an active player, I definitely would not go on that. At least if my team were in the playoff hunt. If my team were bad, then yes, it'd be good for my brand. But if I was concerned about winning, <laughs> Sarah always thinking about her brand. I am. That is true. <laughs> if anyone knows anything about me, it's that I'm I'm on brand. Well, thank you for that rabbit hole, Neil. That was a great way to... That was a great last rabbit hole for us. Um, And that will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us over the course of the run of Hot Takedown. We really enjoyed talking to each other and to you during this time. You can always still email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer was Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow was in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner was Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. And whenever the next time is, we'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.